1: Hello and welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Tonight we have a really super exciting episode. So we'll start off our first segment by talking about uh, the former, now, president of... Uh, I guess he's kind of, kind of still in office. He hasn't been... He's not out of office yeah. yet, but he's lame not going to be... Real, yeah, a lame duck president in Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro. And our second segment, will be talking about inflation, but not in the way that you might be thinking. Um, we're kind of going to take a different, slightly different angle uh, looking at inflation. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about a little bit more of a theoretical conversation about w- whether there's an inherent kind of tension or dichotomy between stability on one hand and progress on the other. Mm. Speaking of progress, but lack of progress, Michael, what are the COVID numbers? Man, I'm so glad you asked. So I, I, a quick disclaimer, i have been a mess this week, but <laughs> apparently so has COVID data, because in like reviewing like worldwide COVID data from a few different sources, there were like a lot of weird discrepancies, kind of independent hmm. weird discrepancies. So I am not including the worldwide COVID numbers this week because I don't think some of the data that's being reported, at least this most recent week, is accurate. Things like total count over time going down across like a couple sources, which like is not possible because- How's that? How's that possible? Yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> no worldwide COVID numbers this week, but U.S. COVID numbers don't seem to have those same discrepancies, so we'll talk through those. All right. So so far in the world, we've hit 99.4 million total cases in the U.S. Average daily cases over the last week have been 23,000, which is down 15% from 27,000 the week before. In terms of total death, we've hit 1.095 million, with average daily deaths over the last week of 177, which is down 11% from 199 the week before. And then in terms of vaccination, we've hit 79.97% of the U.S. population with at least one dose, with 68.35% with a second dose of the vaccine. Each of those is up A couple of a tenths of a percent from the week before um so pretty much just the same kind of consistent progress we've been seeing uh for a while on vaccination rate
0: speaking of consistent progress and i actually (laughs) kind of mean it this time yeah let's talk about the brazilian election okay because like it's it's not often nowadays that we can come to you and say that there is something that has happened in which is just a good thing it is a good thing for everybody All right. And it's not often that we can say that the left has actually had a victory. Mm. Now it's it's in Brazil,
1: (laughs) but it's still a victory. But can I just say, like, the more I learned about this, the more I was like, oh my God, like this is so similar to the US. Like, yeah. Just what is going on here is so is so crazy. But so let's let's just first of all lay the groundwork for like kind of what's happened. Um, and then maybe we can talk through some of those comparison points. Yep. This year, uh, Brazil had a presidential election, and the incumbent president Jair Bolsonaro um, ended up losing uh, after a runoff election. So initially, in the first round of voting, there were a, a number of different candidates. Um, the two front runners were Luiz Inacio Lula de Silva or who goes by Lula, um, and Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, And initially, Lula, who had been leading by about 10%, roughly, in the polls for a long time, received 48.4% of the vote versus Bolsonaro's 43.2%, which, no one having a majority, uh, it goes to a runoff election with fewer candidates, and ultimately, Lula won 51% of the vote in the runoff, which is the tightest presidential election in Brazil's history. But that means that the liberal Lula was able to take the presidency from the incumbent, like, ultra-nationalist, far-right candidate Bolsonaro.
0: Yeah. One thing I think we should point out is that 2% represents 2 million votes. So Mm. that's, that's still a lot of people. Like, there is still a lot of distance in between them, if you look at how many people wanted one versus the other. Like, a million people is a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and Brazil is just a fucking huge country.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Brazil is a very large country. It is a very large country. So I guess there are a few questions that I think we should answer in this segment. Mm -hmm. You know, number one, who is Lula? Number two, who is Bolsonaro? Mm -hmm. Uh, Number three, why are a bunch of Americans talking about the Brazilian election? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great (laughs) question. So so question number one who is lula and the answer is he has quite a history with brazil at this point Mm. so lula is actually the former president of brazil and he actually held office for two terms between 2003 and 2010 and he left office with an approval rating of 80 percent that's crazy which is pretty damn impressive Mm. and during his time in office He governed as a leftist. Uh, He expanded social security programs. He protected the Amazon. He expanded family assistance programs. He raised the minimum wage. He grew the economy. He expanded trade with other countries. His programs lifted millions of Brazilians out of poverty. And his policies specifically expanded the country's middle class. This guy was super popular. Yeah. And then in uh 2018 he was arrested. Why you might ask. He was arrested on charges of corruption. Now, apparently during his administration there were charges that uh the uh the workers party which was his political party had been paying bribes to political officials um and there was like a multi-year criminal investigation into dealing with their uh with bribes of some state-owned oil company. But here's the thing about that. First off, he maintained his innocence the entire time. And second off, there were a lot of discrepancies in the actual trial. Hmm. And it was widely accused of biases against Lula. And that actually led to, in 2021... To uh, the charges, not just being dropped, but being annulled by the Supreme Court of Brazil. And again, the reason why they did this was because they found that the judge in the case, the the judge that had tried the case, had been biased against him. So it was complete
1: bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It also stopped him from running in the election that year, which is the year Bolsonaro won. Yeah. So. Yeah, originally sentenced to 10 years in prison um yeah. and ultimately having that annulled which like I think that's important to call out the difference to your point Ethan between like annulment and like you know some other kind of you know yeah. a suspension of a sentence or something like that like unlike a pardon for instance this is an acknowledgment that there was something wrong with the trial yeah. that convicted him resulting in an outcome that was not consistent with, you know, innocent until proven guilty.
0: Yeah. And look, if you've listened to the pod, you know that I have no problem with calling out corruption, whether it's yeah. from someone on the left <laughs> or someone on the right. Um, yeah. I will, I will rant to, uh, until the cows come home about corruption and I will chastise anybody regardless of how much I might agree with them on other political views. Mm. This was a bullshit accusation. This was clearly mm. a bullshit accusation. Um, on top of that let's let's look at let's let's go back even further let's look at his background he started off as a leader of the steel workers union mm-hmm. and um he helped to organize strikes during the military rule in uh the late 1970s so in brazil starting after a coup in uh in 1964 there was a military dictatorship in the country of brazil between the years of uh, 1964 and 1985 and in fact he actually helped create the workers party which would go on to help draw up the uh, the brazilian constitution hmm. which was inevitably which was eventually ratified in 1988 so not only was this guy a strike worker who stood against a military dictatorship he helped to create the new constitution For the country. This guy is a country builder.
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And like, you know how often countries get like, especially like young democracies get built, they establish a constitution and then the first president just like, or like the first, like the first person who's very popular, like just remains in office or like, you know, yeah yeah just becomes the new authoritarian this guy didn't yeah. do that and he raised 10 like millions of people out of poverty and grew their economy like those are all real hard you know check marks in my book yeah and i would also like to point out
0: and the, to sort of transition into talking about bolsonaro whereas lula fought against the military dictatorship and actually organized strikes against it when bolsonaro took office he actually reinstated commemorations of the 1964 coup that deposed the Democratic the, at the time the democracy that that had been established, the democratically elected president, and lasted for 20 years. all right he commemorated that coup, which was a change in policy and on top of and, and let me let me just let me just give you some numbers for that military dictatorship. So, during the time, during that time period, uh, 4,841 elected representatives were removed from office. An estimated 20,000 people were tortured. Holy shit. And 434 people were either killed or disappeared. Hmm. And to further drive the point home, you know what Bolsonaro's biggest problem with that coup was what quote from a radio interview in 2016 quote the dictatorship's mistake was to torture but not kill jesus fucking
1: christ
0: that's his problem with the military (laughs) dictatorship
1: so, so he looks at the two thousand saying-
0: he looks at the twenty thousand number of people that were tortured and he was like, ah, fuck, man, that should have been twenty thousand people that were killed. What the I hell, mean, guy? Kill
1: rate is just way too low. You can't <laughs> keep a military dictatorship. I mean, 434 I four hundred and thirty-four people rate. like that them's rookie numbers. Uh, yeah. Man, you think that he might have been signaling some in- authoritarian tendencies here. <laughs> Potentially.
0: Potentially.
1: Potentially. Okay, so J.R. Bolsonaro. Former army captain, you know, president uh, in this most recent term, notorious far-right, ultra-nationalist, authoritarian candidate. Fascist. Uh, fascist, yes. Well, far-right authoritarian equals fascism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, racist, sexist, homophobe. Yeah. Can Um, I,
0: I just, I just want to read some shit that he said. Yeah. Let's, can I I just like, yeah, just, I I need, I need you all to understand how fucking horrible this man is. Yeah. All right. Like Michael talked about how, um, you know, he, he, he compared what was going on in America. To what was going, what 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 happened here in Brazil, kind of like the like the Biden versus Trump election versus mm-hmm. the uh, the Bolsonaro versus uh, Lula election, and there definitely are parallels. But I think one important distinction is that Lula is much better than Joe Biden, <laughs> and Bolsonaro is much worse than Donald much, Trump.
1: <laughs> much worse.
0: And you know how much I hate Donald Trump. I do yeah. not fucking say that lightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, some things that he has said. All right. In a speech that he made, um, and this is let's see, this is this was in 2017. In a speech that he made, he was talking about this this settlement in Brazil that had been founded by the descendants of slaves, so it was a primarily black settlement. He said, quote, they do nothing, they are not even good for procreation. He compared black activists to animals who should go back to the zoo. Um, At one point, he was responding to this congresswoman uh, in Brazil who had accused him of encouraging rape. And he said, this was in 2014, he said, quote, I wouldn't rape you because you don't deserve it.
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: All right. He said that it was because she was ugly and not his type. Wait. He said a woman was too ugly to be raped.
1: Also, like... Isn't not your type supposed to be not the type of person you're attracted to, rather than like not the type of person you would rape? If you have a type of person that you would rape, that's a that means you think yeah, about that raping means people that, too means much. You,
0: that means that you rape. That means that you're a rapist. Yeah, like yeah. holy fuck. That's that's what you're. You're based, You just you're saying like you're not the type of person. Like you just said, I
1: would never go for you means I would go for someone else.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, in an interview with Playboy in 2011, um, he said that he would quote, would be incapable of loving a homosexual son. I would prefer my son to die in an accident than show up with a mustachioed man. Wait, is he
1: homophobic or, or mustachophobic? <laughs>
0: So like if they if they're not if they're a mustache if, if they don't have a mustache then I guess yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Like, that's fine. Just, just which just I, I take personally, it, sh-
1: as some as a previous mustachio male. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, at, at one point the guy said that uh that the one daughter that he conceived, he conceived in a moment of weakness. Oh so my like f- Fucking God, Jesus. Like this guy is a this guy is a bastard.
1: Like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, no, he like seriously hates gay people and women and, like, black people. And it's, like, remarkable. And on top of all of that, he ran a fucking shitty government. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, not not only is he a terrible person, but, like, also, like, he was intent on developing the Amazon rainforest, like, encouraging logging and development of the forest. And, you know, that's a big risk, because 60 fucking percent of the Amazon rainforest is in Brazil. Yeah. And according to satellite imagery, um, under his administration, the Amazon rainforest shrunk by 17%. Oh, And there are parts of the forest that now emit more carbon dioxide than they absorb. More mm. than two billion trees yeah. were cut down or and burned in the Amazon, which the Amazon covers 40 percent of South America's landmass contains a third of all of the trees in the world. Wow. And is one of our is, absorbs enough carbon dioxide to account for all of Germany's ga- like greenhouse gas emissions. Well, wow. right? When it's healthy. And so like the fact that he's under his administration it's shrunk by 17%. He's literally putting the entire globe at risk, affecting yeah. like like climate because the amount of moisture that these trees like hold in like affects precipitation all over the continent
0: yeah yeah and this right here is why i wanted to make it clear that this isn't just good for brazil this is good for the world like this is is. this is one of the big reasons why i wanted us to do this segment because lula First off, when he was in office, he was a climate activist, and he did actually inc- implement policies to protect the Amazon rainforest. Bolsonaro just said, field day, motherfucker. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, encouraged it. <laughs> he encouraged it directly. Yeah. And which he is also like had...
1: stealing land from indigenous people, which of course he also doesn't care about because we yeah. aforementioned mentioned racism.
0: Yeah. And also, he did a colossally terrible job in dealing with covid yes so you know how we're always talking about the number of deaths in the united states and how like we had more people die in our country than any other country in the world Mm -hmm. you know who number two was brazil (laughs) (laughs) oh man (laughs) and to to be fair uh that is total deaths not deaths per capita Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's it's important to be fair and go ahead and look at the per capita numbers. If we're looking at per capita numbers, and this is in the entire world, all right? So the United States was 15th. Brazil was 17th as in mm-hmm. terms of highest amount of deaths per capita. And to, to put into perspective, because it's also important to note that if you're looking at countries that are super small— a few deaths can completely skew the numbers. All right. Mm-hmm. So to to put into perspective, one of the countries that is ahead of us in terms of uh, that was ahead of I mean us as in the United States and Brazil in terms of per capita deaths when it comes to COVID was San Marino.
1: Hmm.
0: One hundred and nineteen people died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, honestly, I'm not even we sure gotta, where San Marino is, but yeah, like we only problem.
1: Yeah.
0: But like only 119 people died, which means that it's it's a very it's a very small population, all right, mm-hmm. um, versus like over a million people dying in the United States and almost 700,000 people dying in Brazil. So he was a colossal failure in Brazil, and there were a ton of corruption scandals uh, with, with with regard to the the handling of COVID in which um, there were actually some arguments for taking legal action against him, which might mm-hmm. actually happen when he's when he's out of office. I don't know but he was a he was a colossal failure he was horrible for brazil he was horrible for the economy so naturally he had donald trump's full support <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: so so one of the things that we should call out is like the reason he's under investigation for his covid response is because they just didn't fucking roll out vaccines despite yeah. like despite the fact that companies like Pfizer was like coming to them and saying like, Hey, do you want vaccines? Anytime we could do we could do vaccines anytime, send them like over like 80 emails or something like that. And what they ended up doing was paying 10 times the originally quoted price to an Indian pharmaceutical company related and and the reason they told they paid 10 times more than the price that was offered to them is because his government were getting kickbacks. So like they're literally delaying the distribution of vaccines because of corruption. But the crazy thing is we know that people in Brazil wanted the vaccination. Like hmm. so if you if you look at like the graph of the United States vaccination uptake, right, it like spikes pretty fast up to like 40%. Right. And then it slowly goes up over months and months and months to where we are now in, in the high seventies. In Brazil, once they got the vaccine, it went from like zero to like seventy percent in like <laughs> three months.
0: Wow. Yeah, and then
1: went from 70 to 80% of the population over the next few months. So like they really wanted the vaccine and their government just fucking failed them because of yeah. corruption. So like there was a Senate um pandemic parliamentary inquiry, inquiry, which found that the Brazilian government could have reduced coronavirus transmission by 40%, saving 120,000 lives if the Bolsonaro government had not resisted like basic disease prevention measures like masks, vaccines, and social distancing. Yeah. They just, they fucked it up so bad that they like basically killed 120,000 people. Yeah.
0: So it's no wonder that he lost. Yeah. And interestingly enough, and, you know, stop me if this sounds familiar, but in the lead up to the election... He basically tried to tell everybody that if he loses, it's only because of fraud. Yeah. Like, the only way you could possibly lose is because of fraud. At one point, he said that there were only three possible outcomes from the election. Either he gets arrested, he gets killed,
1: or he wins. Mm-hmm. All this right. It's fucking crazy. He stated it is that fucking crazy. He stated that only God could remove him from office, and... <laughs> Basically, his entire time in government, he's been laying the foundation to undermine checks and balances on his powers, right? Repeatedly casting doubt on the elect- the voting systems, including a very Trump move of claiming that his 2018 election, where he won, was rigged against him because he didn't win in the first round, right? He didn't win by enough. And so as a result, it must have been rigged against him. So he's been like it's like it's clear that similar to trump he's been laying the groundwork for challenging this election for years
0: which is interesting because he didn't end up doing it which is good
1: <laughs> good it job good. bro it is good but which like is, yeah which is really important because he had like the military on his side yeah and the police yeah and the police exactly. so
0: and a lot of people that took to the streets to to try to protest to mm-hmm. to, to like block traffic and shit um so so basically what happened after he lost was he went into his room for two days and just sulked. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even making that up. He literally just like, there were 48 hours in which nobody heard anything from him. And the report said that he was just kind of sitting in his room, just like, <laughs> fuck my life. <laughs> um, and then he comes out after sulking for two days and he's just like, well, I guess I'm going to respect the constitution. And that's like all he said. Like he didn't directly yeah. concede. He didn't say like this was a free and fair election and congratulations for winning. But he said that he would respect the constitution. And there was a, a a spokesperson for him came out and basically said that he had he had talked to him, and he said that it's over. Yeah. So it doesn't look like Bolsonaro is actually going to um to contest it. Uh, he told members of the Supreme Court it's over. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he told his supporters basically like, you know, you're, he's like, yeah, you're, you're protesting injustice and all that. But like, I mean, it's, it's done. We're yeah. Yeah. So his, his, his vice president also came out and said, there's no point in crying anymore. We lost the game. Um, Mm -hmm. so it does look like he is going to go quietly and they have started the, uh, they have started the transition proceedings. Yeah. So at least ironically, Interestingly enough, in this specific area, he might be better than Trump. Yeah. So that brings us to why should we care in the United States? And the biggest reason why we should care in the United States is because think about all of the things that I read about what he said, the type of person that he was. And let me read this from Donald Trump, his endorsement of Bolsonaro before the election. Trump said, quote, He's done an absolutely incredible job with your economy, with your country. He's respected by everyone throughout the world. So I strongly endorse President Bolsonaro. He -hmm. will be your leader for hopefully a long time. One of the greatest presidents in the world. (laughs) One of the greatest presidents in the world. He also said, don't let radical left lunatics and maniacs destroy Brazil like they have done so many other countries. President Bolsonaro has done a fantastic job, has my complete and total endorsement, and deserves your vote. He will never let you down.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he posted so, on he posted on Truth Social. Tropical Trump, as he is affectionately called, has done a great job for the people for the wonderful people of Brazil. When I was president of the U.S., there was no other country leader who called me more than Jair. Hey Trump, I
0: hate to break it to you, but when he's called Tropical Trump, it's it's not affectionately.
1: No, no, it's not <laughs> <laughs> because that's the not world hates thing. you. Yeah.
0: And the world hates Bolsonaro. That's just reality. Yeah. That's, that's just, they don't like you. They don't like him. Yeah. All right. He a, he was a shitty leader. You were a shitty leader, but I just like to point out. Bolsonaro directly supported the dictatorship. He said that the biggest problem was that they didn't do enough killing and Trump supports him. Yeah. Now, the reason why I'm calling that out, and I also want to call out the fact that uh, Steve Bannon told mm-hmm. him that he should contest the election. Yep. Uh, fucking Sidney Powell said that yeah. the the election was stolen. That it was you know that there that it was iffy. Um, there there are a bunch of other uh, right wing commentators that have expressed their disappointment in the mm-hmm. loss. Uh, in in this loss.
1: Yeah, Steve Bannon said, there is no possibility that the result of the electronic ballot boxes is correct. We need a ballot-by-ballot audit, even if it takes six months. In the meantime, the president should not agree to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like... So it's remarkable that all of these U.S. right-leaning commentators and even, like, strategists are supporting a random right-leaning candidate who is trailing in the polls for months. like that means that like why would you support bolsonaro right? What would be the point? Yeah the point is sowing doubt in electoral processes at large when your right-leaning candidate who apparent like who who they seem to describe as having just like you know like God's endorsement doesn't win. Yeah. It's just it's just entirely anti-democratic, masquerading as election security. Yeah. And also, this should be
0: a hint about mm-hmm. what's to come for the far yeah. right in the United States, all yeah. right? Understand the reason why I want you to understand the type of person that Bolsonaro is is because I want you to understand what type of person in the United States could possibly support a man like that, Mm -hmm. all right? He has the support of the former president of the United States, Yeah. all right? He has the support of Donald Trump, a man who directly called, like who directly celebrated the dictatorship of Brazil and in the 90s said that that was the type of government that he supported. He said that. He said that Mm -hmm. in the 90s, that a dictatorship was the kind of government that he supported. And Trump is endorsing him all right? Bolsonaro even said that Trump and him have the same worldview. (laughs) That should freak you the fuck out. Because we've always said that Trump is a fascist, and he is. He finds more subtle ways of being a fascist, and he's not a fascist to the same extent that Bolsonaro is a fascist, but he absolutely has ambitions for that. He's giving that some funny-ass looks. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying that The average Republican in the United States is is secretly wanting to be like Bolsonaro. But I want you to understand that far-right leaders, people like Donald Trump, people like Steve Bannon, people like Sidney Powell, those far-right leaders in the United States, they're telling on themselves. Yeah. And we should view this as we should we should take them at their word and understand that that is the type of far right ideology that they want to implement in the united states yeah. and i don't think that that is popular amongst the republican base mm-hmm. i think that it's very possible that there are some republicans that don't know a fucking thing about brazil that are seeing trump say that they see oh far right well i'm on the right so i guess that's great mm-hmm. we need to be clear when we're talking about that form of far right we are talking about something that is beyond the Overton window. Even the within the skewed right wing politics of the United States, yeah, that that is that is far to the right of the Overton window in the United States. Yeah, all right,
1: totally. And we're and Brazil is very lucky that uh, Bolsonaro had one thing that Trump doesn't have, and they were very unlucky that he has another thing that Trump doesn't have. They were very lucky that he had restraint. And unlucky that he had the support of the military. Yeah. We know Trump doesn't have restraint. All it would have taken is support of the military. Yeah. So now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Tips for Good. So Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, I'm so glad you asked. Because we do Tips
0: for Good every week because... You're a real tough cookie with a long history of breaking little hearts like the one in me. That's okay. Let's see how we do it. Put up your hands. Let's get down to it. Hit me with your best shot. Come on and hit me with your best shot.
1: Wow. I would never hit you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We've wrestled before. I guess we've wrestled, yeah, but we never struck. Actually, yeah. well,
0: you accidentally... Uh, no, I accidentally hit you because, like, when we when we did that, like, I I think I I bashed like I bashed you in the jaw with my face by accident. Mm, that
1: that that rings a bell. But you know, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> but, it happens. We were we were stupid teenagers. Where the phrase "tough cookie" comes from? Of all the things that could be tough, cookies, cookies? are not that
0: tough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean maybe it's because like a normal cookie crumbles. So like a tough cookie would have to be like really tough in order to not just to crumble. crack.
1: Yeah, perhaps. yeah. I th- I, maybe wow. maybe that's it. Maybe
0: that's but then it. that would be like that would be burned. You would yeah, have to burn it like horribly. So that would be a really unappetizing cookie. And unappetizing
1: cookies are like way worse for the world. That is so true. We should like, just make soft cookies. Soft cookies. They make the world a better place. There we go. Which is also which is
0: also why we do tips for good.
1: Oh, duh. Oh my gosh. Yet again, Dude,
0: we miss that every week. We every m- week. we mess that Just up every week. Down. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael, what is our
1: tip for good this week? Our tip for good this week is unfortunately yet another tip derived from my own life <laughs> this, <laughs> i wish this would stop happening a couple weeks ago it was fire <laughs> and it was fire and, and a dog fire yeah exactly yeah you, you should have fire alarms just in case your your dog lights your house on fire uh so this week it is make sure that you have all the supplies in your car to change your tire Mm. And this came from the fact that my wife was driving home at like eleven p.m. after uh, uh, photographing a wedding, and there was like a there was like debris in the road, and it popped one of her tires. And so, luckily, she had everything in the car, but didn't know how to change a tire. So I had to rush over and like get all the stuff. But I was really happy and really lucky that we had an inflated spare tire, which is key, right? It doesn't just remain inflated by accident. We had a jack. We had a tire iron, and we had the little cranky jack cranky thingy. I don't know what to call that, but the handle thingy that you used to crank the <laughs> jack. So go out to your car. Check whether you have everything to change your tire. Check the te- the air pressure in your spare to make sure that it's it's full because it can be really expensive and a huge pain in the ass not to be able to change your tire. And if you can change it, it's literally a five-minute job. Wait, so do you mean to tell me that Brie was defeated by... Debris? <laughs> 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 oh, man. Uh, I was wondering why you had that look. You had this look over there like you're like, yeah. you know, stolen. <laughs> I was like...
0: immediately thinking, oh, I got a pun. I'm, I got okay, it. Okay, I'm saving it. Hold I'm saving it, in. it It's a horrible <laughs> pun, but I'm, I'm using it. I'm saying it. Debris was <laughs> defeated by
1: debris. Yep. <laughs> and that's tips for good. So... In the 12 months ending in September 2022, the U.S. had an inflation rate of about 8.2%, down from a high of like 9.1% in the 12 months leading to June. These are inflation rates that we have not seen in the United States since like the 1980s, right? Yep. Consumer goods are very, very fucking expensive right now. At the same time, retail goods companies are seeing record total profits. Lowe's recorded $8.4 billion in profit in the most recent quarter, specifically citing new pricing strategies. Uh, TJX, the parent company of TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and HomeGoods, saw last year's profits soar to $3.3 billion. The CEO specifically cites aggressive pricing strategies. And Target boosted its profits to $6.9 billion in 2021. Uh, And similarly... Uh, this, the CEO called out a year of record growth. So when we talk about inflation, at least so as we've talked about it so far, the research that we've been reading has largely pointed to supply chain issues paired with enough money from you know consumers for them to actually continue to purchase stuff. So restricted yeah. supply uh, is being the primary driver of growing inflation. Yeah, but one thing we were really curious about is the role of the middle people, right? Corporations delivering goods to consumers, as, and and their profit margins in the role of driving inflation, right? Because if it's all supply chain, then it's all on the it's all the uh, the value chain that leads into those corporations, right? Yeah, and then once it's in there, if they were to pass that you know cost along to the consumer, that would be supply chain driven. Uh, inflation. But yeah. the question we had was, what's the role of the corporations that are actually selling these goods in yeah. driving inflation?
0: And this has become a talking point among a lot of leftist circles, and it's been starting to be talked about more within the actual elected Democratic Party mm-hmm. as a major contributor to inflation and potentially an explanation. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time reading about this and what's interesting was i kept so i kept finding articles that were supposedly debunking that claim hmm. all right i would find an article that would say you know the left claims this or democrats are claiming that it's you know it's uh it's greedflation, but economists are all saying that that's not true and i'm like okay economists okay what are the numbers? And it's like, yep, they say it's not true. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I said, okay, article, but can you tell me what the numbers are? They're <laughs> like, economists say that it's not quite true. I'm like, okay, but can you, can you, but, but what are the numbers here? What are the numbers here? And they're like, economists say that the primary drivers are supply chain and government money from the the stimulus checks that's what economists are saying i'm like okay 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 but give me some fucking numbers <laughs> uh, and they weren't giving me any any numbers and i was i was very disappointed because i love numbers um and so i started looking more into it and more into it and i finally found some numbers and it turns out that uh the economists are kind of
1: wrong <laughs> well at least the ones that these articles apparently yeah. seem to be talking yeah. to
0: yeah like like so so, so here i want to i want to make one thing absolutely clear all right the thing that sparked current inflation was supply chain issues
1: and we've said that a yeah. hundred times on this pod yeah, all right? which is driven by the pandemic if yeah. you remember like we broke this down pretty early on i think like very early on in the pandemic we were like guys yeah. Just so you know, temporary slowdowns in production as a result of anticipating reception and scaling back or as a result of workers getting sick can have huge downstream impacts. One of the first bubbles we saw was in like the lumber market when they shut yeah. down lumber production and then it turns out everybody wanted to build their homes and lumber demand shot up but it took weeks and weeks for supply to get up there. We talked about the fact the basic math behind the idea that if you miss if you are if if you're shut down because of pandemic related things for one week but your demand doesn't diminish, right? Without with without significant excess capacity just in the system, it can take years to catch up from that one week of being shut down. Supply yeah. chain issues were driven directly by The pandemic and they're directly what's driving inflation
0: yeah you know bottlenecks at ports of entry Mm -hmm. uh like in in california where you had all these boats with a ton of goods that were just sitting there in the harbor and there weren't enough trucks to transport those goods around the united states that reduces supply which increases demand and you end up having a situation in which in order to make up for it you have to you have to raise the price of everything, so so obviously that was the start of it. All right. Yeah. Um, now you can make an argument about there being a slight, uh, a a slight impact from the uh, the the stimulus checks, but those stimulus
1: checks also
0: allowed people to live.
1: Yeah, and, and importantly, <laughs> what we found was so so the argument from the stimulus checks perspective would be true if you injected just tons of money into the economy and and like basically what you did was you took all the money that was already floating around and then you put a bunch more in there but what actually happened was unemployment reached record levels people like 13% of the working population didn't have an income so like income supplements and stimulus were the things that kept people afloat and so when when their balance sheets dried up those sources of stimulus enabled them to stay afloat. So what that did was replace their income. Now in some cases in low-income people it would replace greater than the value of their income. But but those are like relatively speaking smaller cases and yeah. and ultimately like you know the impact of that stimulus was only like only an exacerbator of inflation because of the diminished supply available. Yeah. And even one of the articles that I read, this was a
0: Fortune article that I read that was trying to debunk the idea of uh, corporate price gouging being the primary driver. Even they Mm -hmm. uh, pointed out in their own numbers that there was was research from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco that said that the the economic relief from the government... um, increased inflation by 3% versus bottlenecking supply chain issues contributed to 20 points of increase. So <laughs> No, no. 3% it was all
1: bided at 20%. Jokes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so like even even this article that's you know that's trying to um focus on those specific things as the drivers and not corporate price gouging, uh they had, e- even this article admits like yeah, it it's much more to do with that supply chain mm-hmm. but that brings us to what to what extent could corporate corporate price gouging actually play in this? Mm-hmm. Um, because as Michael pointed out a lot of these companies are experiencing record-breaking profits at the same time that the rest of the United States is Suffering from the cause of inflation, they're suffering yeah. from the uh, the fact that the gas prices are are too high. They're suffering from the fact that that food is that food is too expensive. So, the Economic Policy Institute broke down an analysis of this, which I think paints a really interesting picture.
1: Mm.
0: All right, so there's there's some things that we need to understand before we go over these numbers. Uh, first off, these numbers are about the increase in overall prices, which in um, the second quarter of 2020, increased at a rate of 6.1%, which, to put that into perspective, price growth between the pre-pandemic business cycle of 2007 through to 2019, on average, had a 1.8% annual growth. Now that's so that's 1.8% before the pandemic and 6.1% after the pandemic. So keep those numbers in mind. And these and these specific numbers are focused on the uh non financial corporate sector. Mm-hmm. So companies that provide goods and services to the economy, which makes up roughly roughly uh seventy five percent of the private sector. So the economic policy institute took a look at that annual increase of 6.1% and they broke down, where did that money go into? So when it comes to producing goods and, 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 and opt-in services as well, uh, there are three things that you wanna consider when you're looking at an increase in prices, all right? The first thing is, of course, corporate profits, all right? To what extent does the price increase go into corporate profits? The second is non-labor input costs, and that basically means your supplies. All right. Uh, so think about in this specific case, the biggest thing that's going to ha- that that's gonna that's gonna impact that is going to be the supply chain. Mm-hmm. And finally, unit labor costs, which means labor. You know, the cost of labor, the people that you're paying per so, thing that you produce. So that per thing that you produce, you can scale. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I want to take a look at the 1979 to the 2019 average versus the 2000 to 2021 average. So like pre-pandemic average versus post-pandemic average or, you know, during pandemic average. All right. So in terms of unit labor costs, the price increase, the annual price increase, 61.8% of the price increase, the money from the price increase, Went into unit labor costs versus during the pandemic, Hmm. 7.9%. 7.9% versus 61.8%. What that means is that a significant, significantly less money from the price increase during the pandemic went into labor than it did prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's look at non labor input cost before the pandemic 26.8% during the pandemic 38.3%. So we do see an increase there. All right? Um, we do see that there is like over a 10% increase in the percentage yeah. of the of the, the 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 price increase going towards non-labor input costs versus versus prior to the pandemic. And that makes sense because that that refers that would that accounts for the supply chain.
1: Yeah. Now note that if a company was just passing along their supply cost to consumers, all of that increase would be non-labour supply yeah. costs, right? Yeah. Like if it was just the supply chain driving the cost and they were directly passing that along, that's where it would all go. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's look at corporate profits.
0: Prior to the pandemic. of the price increase went into corporate profits. During the pandemic, 53.9%. Yeah. 53.9%. 11.4% before the pandemic, during the pandemic, 53.9%. Yeah. These numbers paint a really important picture. Now, again, I do want to be clear that the thing that started inflation was supply chain issues. It was not like one day a bunch of corporations got together and said, hey, we're just going to start jacking prices up. That's not what happened. However, a major driver of inflation, once inflation started, was corporate p- price gouging. And these numbers make that
1: abundantly
0: clear. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is a really, really strong analysis. And I think it's stronger than most of the ones that you're seeing out there. Because I was skeptical, I'll be honest. Yeah. Because I was thinking initially like, hell, everybody's citing corporate profit growth, right? But like profit growth can happen even while cost growth happens, right? Yeah. So like if you have higher costs, but you your investors still require the same return on your revenue, right so they expect basically the same profit margin so for every dollar of revenue how much money you make if you're if your costs double then your price has to double right but then if you're like selling a if if, if a $1 costing if a toothbrush they cost you $1 to make before now cost you $2 then you need to charge $4 for it not $2 right or not $3 So, like the actual amount of profit has to double, right? Because the cost doubled in order to keep your profit margin the same. But, you know, if you think about it in terms of actual dollars, your cost only went up by $1. So you're actually making more dollars in profit, even if your profit margin remains the same, if your costs are going up. So, like, initially I was like, well, like, maybe people are just keeping their profit margins the same, which is bad, right? Like, the fact that you have costs going up and you're not just passing those along, but you're actually taking advantage of that fact in terms of uh, to keep your profit margin the same so you don't look bad to investors, that's not great. But it's, like, kind of what our, invest- our investors expect. It's what you expect from com- companies on the stock market is to keep their profit margins consistent, which would lead to growing profit as cost increased. But the fact that those cost increases are primarily coming from profit and the fact that we're seeing growth in profit margins means that, you know, when they take that $1 toothbrush and and their costs go up to $2, right? It means that their price doesn't just go up to $4, it goes up to $5. So their profit yeah. margin goes up, right? So like that's when we start seeing it really become clear that this is a pretext. So Isabel Weber, a professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts, told uh, ABC News, quote, in the case of sector-wide supply chain issues, as during the pandemic, firms know that their competitors face the same bottlenecks as themselves. The public, too, is aware of the supply chain issues. Taken together, this presents a pretext to increase prices, yeah, yeah, which is why CEO after CEO is citing, you know, significant profit growth and profit margin growth throughout this period. So, an analysis by analysis by the Guardian of SEC filings found that uh, for 100 U.S. corporations, so the 100 of the largest U.S. corporations, they found that the the median net profit increase went up by 49% last year relative, well, in like the most recent filings versus the, the the quarter before. Yeah, 49%.
0: This also flies in the face of the common claim that I've been seeing float around on the right about how one of the drivers of inflation is the fact that all these companies are uh, raising wages in order to try to attract workers that don't want to come back to work because of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, But again- I I, I, point to, I point to those numbers that I read earlier in terms of unit labor cost, you know, when we're looking at the percentage of the increase in price year to year, because, you know, inflation is a constant thing. Like, there is gradual inflation year well, by year. We want and that. It just And we want that, all right? There is gradual inflation that happens year to year, but we want it to be controlled, all right? Right now, inflation is out of control. But, you know, inflation needs to be controlled. So you're going to have price increases every year regardless. Prior to the pandemic, 61.8% of the price increases went to labor cost. And during the pandemic, only 7.9% of it went towards labor cost. 7.9. It's not about wages. All right? Mm -hmm. It is not about wages. It's It's just not. You're just wrong. You're, you're just wrong if you think that. Um, so then the final question then is, what are some solutions to this? Yeah. And there's actually two potential solutions. Wait, One solutions? Of them, isn't the
1: marketplace self-correcting? <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe if you want to take a fucking decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even then, you know, it's... And then um, it's not, yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it's probably not going to be after a decade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the first solution and this is the solution that i've been seeing the most attention given this is a solution that joe biden actually recently came out in favor of and that's a windfall tax Mm -hmm. which is actually something that has been done in uh various other european countries uh the united kingdom did it yeah um, and sometimes you can do it
1: on like a temporary basis if you're not ready to commit to you know a, a windfall tax forever
0: yeah which would probably make sense in this case um it seems like that could be a decent solution. All right, mm. some of the some of the counterarguments about that are, if you do that, they'll raise prices even more. But again, in, the more that they raise prices, the higher that percentage becomes, or yeah, at least that's the higher the argument. higher. Like the the more money ends up getting taken. Yeah, um, exactly. So that doesn't and really so, so
1: a windfall tax basically is taxing profit up. Above a certain amount, right? Or profit yeah, margin Exactly. a certain amount. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. So then the idea would be take that money and redistribute it.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: So that way, like that would disincentivize them from increasing the prices as much. So it would be very likely to lower prices actually. Yeah. Um, and it would also provide additional revenue to potentially help everybody else actually benefit from that, from, from that profit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you always talk about a rising tide lifts all boats, well, buy more people boats. (laughs) You know, that only, I mean, as Jon Stewart said, that only works if everyone has a boat. So (laughs) take that money from the rich and buy more people some boats. Um, But that is a short-term solution. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of people on the left, I think are missing in this conversation is the root of the problem and the root of the problem is the fact that we have decades of corporate mergers hmm. we have decades of corporations consolidating with each other we have decades of monopolies being developed over time we have decades of decreased enforcement of antitrust laws um not updating antitrust laws and because of this we can't rely as much on competition to regulate the market as we used to be able to yeah so if a huge company decides to raise prices on everything if they control enough of the market then everyone else just has to fall in line yeah all right so because there's so many of these markets have power concentrated in just a few companies, you end up having a system in which competition is not actually allowing the market to regulate itself. Mm-hmm. Which means that you're left with you're, you're, you're left with just uh the corporate the corporate bottom yeah. line, which is yeah. to maximize profit and limit losses as much as possible. Yeah. At, so at of any, course you're gonna have a system like this.
1: Yeah, by any means necessary. You're having yeah. companies essentially, if even if they're not functional monopolies, exercising monopoly power over yeah. the marketplace. So Lindsay Owens, executive director of Groundwork Collaborative, which is a liberal think tank, put it this way. What we're seeing in this moment is that companies with the biggest market share, with the most market power, the most pricing power, are the ones who are really engaging in the most egregious profiteering. Which makes sense. To Nathan's point... If you're a huge if you're Walmart, if you're Amazon, like you don't have a hundred competitors all nipping at your heels. You have one. You have maybe two. You know? Yeah. You don't have you have amazing market concentration in terms of your suppliers. They can't raise prices on you. You set the prices. You have so much power that you can essentially set your your operating conditions. And so when you get a pretext like oh man there's really lots of inflation prices are going to go up especially when the consumer has actually enough money to continue buying stuff because they had things like you know income replacement
0: yeah you yeah. you seize that chance yeah yes a windfall tax i think makes sense let's do that but that's a short term solution and it would probably be a temporary solution as it probably should be honestly mm-hmm. um but if we really want to prevent this shit from happening in the future, we have to enforce existing anti-competitive practice laws and and uh, antitrust laws,
1: and we need to expand on them. And now it's time for our favorite segment, Ass Hat of, the, of week. the Week. So Nathan, who is our ass hat this week?
0: Michael. I could not be more excited to introduce this week's asshat. It's one that we haven't had. I'm sure that we've had him before, but we haven't had him in a while. Hmm. It's uh, Fox News host, Jesse Waters.
1: Ooh, Jesse Waters. Jesse Watt,
0: come on down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jesse Watt, come on down. <laughs> so what did Jesse Waters do to get on our show again?
0: Okay, so this, this requires a, a buildup, all right? Okay. so. So he was having a conversation with people on The Five, which is a Fox News show, and they were talking about homelessness in Los Angeles. And one of the hosts, uh, Dana Perino, I believe that's how you say her name, uh, was talking about it and she was saying, quote, homeless encampments in liberal Los Angeles have a brand new amenity, working washing machines. Yes, it's true. Vagrants are setting up oversized tents and boasting about how they can steal water and electricity from the city in order to power their own street laundry service. So she's, first off, she's complaining about the fact
1: that they can do laundry,
0: that homeless <laughs> people can do laundry.
1: Talk about bootstrapping. That's like, gee, that's very impressive, like, innovation. I bet there's and some so, entrepreneurial shit going on, too. And so I saw her say that, and, like, my blood started
0: boiling, and I was sure. thinking, oh, we got to make her our ass hat. But then I heard what Jesse Waters' response to that was. He said, quote, you have to let people hit rock bottom because then they bounce back up. Democrats want to make rock bottom comfortable. Yeah, stay at rock bottom. You know, put a, a washer dryer, put a wine fridge in there, do whatever you need, spread out, spread yourself out. That's the problem. You're actually hurting people by letting them fester and squalor. Don't sit there and let them do this to you because you're not allowed to sleep on public property and you're not allowed to sleep on private property. So get the hell out
1: of there. Jesus fucking Christ.
0: Jesse Waters is a fucking monster. That's fucking terrible. So he
1: is saying that life is too comfortable for the homeless. Too easy for the, yeah. You know, we need, there would be no homeless people if only we tortured homeless people. Yeah,
0: yeah. And also, so what he's saying, he's saying, like, get them out of there because you're not allowed to sleep on public property and you're not allowed to sleep on private property. So what does that mean then? What does that mean? When you say get them out of there, they're not allowed to sleep on public Where property and they they're not allowed to sleep on private property. Where are they supposed to go then? To their homes, Nathan. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to let people hit hit rock bottom because they bounce back up. Dude, Shut the fuck up! I, that that is, is such bullshit. That, that is, is such, such complete bullshit.
1: Bullshit argument. If you make, if you make like people's lives too comfortable, they will become lazy. Yeah, that's like that's that's like welfare queens. That's been around since the fucking eighties, and no one fucking believes it, dude. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. Like they were complaining about the fact that these homeless people had tents.
0: Like, oh, it's so comfortable. They have these tents. They have a roof over their head. They have a washing machine. Like, what more could you possibly want? Yeah. All of their needs are taken care of. Like, no. They aren't.
1: The fact that, that, like, well, why would they need a washing machine? Two potential reasons. One, they want to be fucking clean because dirty clothes, like, feel terrible. But two, this is Los Angeles. The cost of living is very high. Many of these people may be employed, and the way they stay employed is by being able to wash their uniforms and their clothes. We may be talking about people with literal jobs that can't offer them a roof. Yeah. And the yeah. way that they keep those jobs will be would be an outdoor watch. And the fact that they call it stealing power and water from the city, the city owes them power and water. Yeah. <laughs> like... It is it is it is a defect that they don't have a place to live. It is not yeah. a feature.
0: Yeah. Here's the thing. When people hit rock bottom and they don't have any way to get themselves out of it, they will stay at rock bottom. All right? It's not like they're going to magically sprout wings and fly out of the pit. They're going to stay at rock bottom. That's what happens. Some people are too poor to get a job now that might sound Mm -hmm. that might sound counterintuitive but look to to michael's point you underestimate the power of hygiene Mm -hmm. and how that can impact whether or not someone can get a job first off nowadays to apply for jobs you need an internet connection Mm -hmm. all right you need to you need to get on the internet you need to show up and have an interview you need to wear clean clothes and nice clothes for that interview you Mm -hmm. need to be generally clean for that interview you need they're to get not to going the to hire you. If you show up in <laughs> raggedy-ass clothes, they're not going to hire you. You need to be able to get to the interview. You need to some type of transportation in order to get to it. The way that you actually pull people out of poverty or even like pull people out of homelessness is by giving them houses and giving mm. them employment training and giving them the resources in order to actually get a job. Making sure that they have access to that hygiene. Make sure that they have access to clothes that are actually going to be decent. And on top of all of that, a system like that would actually save taxpayer money. We spend significantly more money keeping people on the streets than we would if we literally just bought them all houses. And you have the fucking audacity to accuse Democrats of trying to make it so comfortable for homeless people that they will just want to stay there they will just want to stay homeless because they have a tent they have a they have a washing machine and apparently what you said like they they have a wine fridge which <laughs> i mean <laughs> look look if you're saying like i get a free wine fridge but i have to trade my house uh, i'm sorry no deal I love Mm -hmm. wine, you know, I'd love a wine fridge, but I ain't trading my fucking house for that, all right? People want to be able to do better than that, all right? But they don't have the opportunity to do it. They don't have the opportunity because you can't just pull yourself out of rock bottom. And a rich asshole... Like, Jesse Waters, looking down at his nose at these people, just demonstrates how fucking elitist Fox News is, all right? They always posture as being anti-elitist. They always posture as being these, you know, oh, we're, we're for the little guy. No, you're fucking not. And I'd like to point something else out. I don't want people to hear this and think, oh, classic Republican. Because you know what? Republican voters, not like Republican elitists like Jesse Waters, not Republican elected officials, All right, Republican voters look this up. Statistically, give more money to charity than Democratic voters, which proves that Republican most Republican voters don't think this way about charity. That don't think this way about homeless people, about the poor. Now, the 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 most common argument that I've heard when I've talked to people on the right about this is the idea that, uh, of course, I want to help. Poor. Of course, I want to help homeless people. I just don't think the government should do it. I think we should be doing it through charity. But that's not what Jesse Waters is saying. He's saying just leave it, leave them as is, make it as uncomfortable for them to live as possible. And, you know, hopefully one day they'll be miserable enough to sprout wings and just fly. All right. Classic then. This, rep- this this guy does not represent what the Republican voter actually thinks. All right. He's an elitist. And somehow he's been able to convince people that he is for that he is for you, that he is for the average conservative voter. He yeah. has contempt for poor people. All right. The very people that again, Republican voters actually do more on a personal level in order to help. This guy is not fucking with you.
1: Yeah. No, nah, you're just a soft liberal. You think that the best way to give for someone to have something is to give it to them. Well, actually, Nathan, the best way for someone to have something is to take everything from them. <laughs> <laughs> so, congratulations to Jesse Twat Waters for being this week's ass hat of the, of the week. week. <laughs> So for our last segment tonight, we're talking about stability and progress and whether there's actually, like, some kind of tension here, right? Because, like, I mean, if you think about it, like, huge leaps forward in progress, social, societal progress, tend, or at least historically, are sometimes paired with periods of significant instability, right? Because, like, like... At the very least, social instability, riots, protests, stuff like that. Uh, at the highest end, like even like the civil war, you know, stuff like in and, and and you know, violent, violent protests and, and things like that. And so it's like yeah. it's this question of whether it requires like discomfort and whether it requires like, you know, discord in order to actually push for things to be accomplished
0: yeah absolutely and there's a lot of historical precedent to progress being driven by desperation mm. because i mean it's 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 kind of natural and intuitive that when people are content they don't want to change the system all right they don't want to make massive changes that can sometimes mean that progress can be stifled by stability mm-hmm. so let's 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 Let me give you an example, all right? Prior to the New Deal, there wasn't really much of a middle class, all Mm -hmm. right? It was mostly working class and elites in the United States. You didn't have a lot of labor protections, and people who were old were kind of just fucked. People Mm -hmm. that were disabled were kind of just fucked. But the biggest reason why the New Deal happened in the first place was because of the Great Depression, the Great Depression drove that progress. And what ended up happening was that the United States, the people of the United States, were actually significantly better off after the New Deal had happened than they were prior to even the start of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't have Social Security. Now we do. We didn't have a minimum wage. Now we do. We didn't have a lot of labor protections. Now we do. We uh, we didn't have disability. We didn't have various welfare programs mm-hmm. now we do and that started because of instability now i'm not saying that the great depression was a good thing i don't want i don't want you to think that but yeah. what i'm saying is that there does seem to be this tendency that when there is not a desperate push towards something when there is not instability either on a social or economic level you very rarely have any progress. Now, I want to give you a little example, another little example. Let's take disability rights, for instance, all right? So the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is widely considered to be basically the Civil Rights Act for disabled people, was passed in 1990 by George H.W. Bush. And it was revolutionary for people with disabilities. Very few people knew about its existence Mm. at the time that it was passed, all right? And even after its passage, you you, you still have very little controversy surrounding disability rights. Hmm. All right. There does seem to be this this universal tendency for both Democrats and Republicans to view disability in. A, in, in a light of, well, of course we want to help people with disabilities, and of course mm-hmm. we don't want to take away disability rights. That's just a general consensus. It doesn't have the same controversy as things like, say, uh, like like racial justice. It doesn't mm-hmm. have the same... Like black people it, having
1: rights. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, or gay people having rights. Yeah. Or hell, you know, women having rights. Alright? Yep. It doesn't have the same type of controversy when you bring it up. It doesn't have the same partisan ire. So you would think that if there's a general consensus that we want to protect and preserve disability rights, that that means that there has been progress since the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, except there hasn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There hasn't been pretty much any progress. I mean, okay, I, I should say, they did pass the ADA Amendments Act in, I believe, 2009, And that clarified some aspects of the ADA. But I would just like to point out the reason why they did that was because there were several court cases prior to then that had limited the definition of disability when Mm -hmm. interpreting the Americans with Disabilities Act. So they basically had to pass laws to
1: pass additional amendments to (laughs) the courts were like, you know what? I don't know about all, including all these people <laughs> with disabilities under the disability <laughs> ADA. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: no, there's there's a, there's some really fucked up history there. Like, did you know that um, that John Roberts at one point uh, actually was a lawyer for I think it was Toyota in a lawsuit where someone was fired for having a disability, by,
1: fired by Toyota, and oh he God. represented Toyota. I, I represent that John Roberts is receiving. Unduly kind treatment because he's not as batshit crazy <laughs> as his many of his colleagues on the bench, but I'm yes. he's still a fucking dildo in a in a robe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good description, because um, he's because he's fucking America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> amazing, amazing.
0: But yeah. but 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 yeah, like so you had that, but again, that was in response to an issue. Like, that was in response to something that—to that a, to a direct threat, all right? But the thing is, the Americans with Disabilities Act has a lot of limitations, and we haven't yeah. seen very much progress on the issue of disability since the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And a huge reason, arguably, for that is because our view on disability has been stable. Mm-hmm. It's been—there hasn't been a lot of controversy surrounding it. And when you have stability, you don't have pushes for progress. Now, keep in mind, stability means a stable status quo. But if -hmm. the status
1: quo is flawed, then it's not necessarily worth defending. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's like, there's, it's so interesting here because it's very tempting to think that, and I think I'm sympathetic to this point of view, that like, Yeah, if we're going to make any progress, we have to have instability. History points in that direction, right? Like we fucking, the United States, the most innovative form of government up to that point was created as a result of a revolutionary war, right? We freed black people in the United States as a result of a war. Like the basic basis for the middle class was created as a result of the largest economic depression in the like, world in the world prior to or since yeah, like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed like driven by the Civil Rights Movement and and like like concerted efforts and protests like yeah it's, and not just that but but videos of yeah. black
0: protesters having the shit beat out of them yeah by by racists in the South which kind of forced like what what Martin Luther King referred to as the moderate whites uh, to take a stand. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the so-called moderate whites saw that and were like, I can't be for that. Mm-hmm. So you got to be for the Civil Rights Act.
1: Yeah. And so in, it's really in, in every single one of these examples, until we cross the canyon, until we get on the other side of that, the, the tough, like that difficult period, it's worse for everybody right like the reason the inciting thing the match the thing that kicks off the the historic event that causes the turning point towards progress in these in these cases is desperation it's things getting so fucking bad that we can't you can't stand even a little bit more of it right yeah and that means that things were too bad that's yeah. bad <laughs> you yeah. know like and so and so it's really it's to your point about like, when you said, like, well, I don't want to say the Great Depression was good, but it led to all these good things. I agree. With none of these things do I want to say, I don't want to say the Revolutionary War was good. Yeah. Like, thousands of people died. I don't want to say the yeah. Civil War was good. The outcome was good. But, like, the thing wasn't good. So, it made me It made me think, like, why, is, why does it seem like the only way to bend towards progress is, like, misery? Yeah. And I think it's because... The only way to force the hand of the people in power who tend to be the people benefiting from stability is to force the hand. Yeah. To to do the forcing. And so it's it's interesting to think about that in real in in contrast to the type of progress and progressivism that we talk about, because it's the only way out of the horrible misery that is the driving force behind all this progress. Yeah. Like the only thing to do is to, is to actually, for the people in power to actually give a shit about the people that aren't necessarily in power and the people that are miserable to draw to push that envelope, to prevent everybody from suffering even more unnecessarily so we can get beyond that. So we can get to the other side of the Canyon to where we are actually making progress.
0: Yeah. And, I would also like to make another important point. Sometimes that desperation goes in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right? Sometimes uh, instability, which leads to a demand for more change, leads to leads in a terrible direction. I gave sure. the example of the Great Depression in the United States. It led to the New Deal. In Germany, it led to Hitler.
1: Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Like all the t- Yeah, of course. Like it's, it's so interesting to think about like, sorry, we fucked up your country because often all the U S did is poked and prodded things to get yeah. worse and worse and worse. And then boom, authoritarian dictatorship. Boom. Yeah. Sharia law. Like, like there's no, there, you're right. You're absolutely right. We shouldn't pretend like the misery and instability naturally results in actual progress. It's just the, it's just the spark that ignites something that hopefully yeah. goes in the right direction. Yeah. But we can avoid that. We can avoid all of that with good legislation and with people in power actually giving a shit about people that are miserable, people yeah. that need help. Like yeah. you could just you could just skip that step <laughs> and but go straight to making things to. better. But we like, won't. That's the I thing. Mean, yeah. We're
0: probably not going to. That's the arc of history. Yeah. The thing is the last time we were in a position where we could have had a ton of progressive change. Yeah, it was in 2016 after the Obama years mm. when people were still hurting from stagnant wages.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People were still um, hurting from living paycheck to paycheck, and you had an appetite for Bernie Sanders because, mm-hmm. like, he came out of nowhere and you know gave Hillary Clinton a run for her money but you also had an appetite for Donald Trump Mm -hmm. and then it ended up going in the direction of Donald Trump. Yeah. And so we kind of missed our chance for any type of progressive change. Um, and the same thing happened in, honestly, the same thing kind of happened in 2020 because people were desperate from the pandemic for something else. Mm -hmm. And again, there was an appetite for Bernie Sanders. There was still a bit of an appetite for Trump, but less so because people were tired of how badly he had fucked up. Yeah. You know, but of course Biden ended up winning. And I think part of that was because people had experienced the instability and they saw him as like more stable. stable. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like we did have an opportunity to create a lot of progressive change and we did yeah. kind of blow it by picking Biden. Now, again, yeah. he... He beat Donald Trump, and that's good. And again, I, I I would like to point out that in terms of policy, Biden has done better than any other United States president in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that he has done that has been good, and there's some there's some landmark changes that he has made. But there's so much that he hasn't done. Yeah. All right. That he yeah. that he promised to do, and that we and probably would have much more progress on and it. We really if need- we had- yeah, and that we really yeah. need. I mean, again, healthcare, we talked about this last week. He kind of just abandoned the public option, which mm-hmm. the public option doesn't even go far enough. But yeah. at least it would be something. At least that would be that would be a big, important change. So sometimes we get desperate, we go in the wrong direction, and we kind of miss our shot.
1: Yeah. I went, And I wonder how much of it is just a problem of f- like foresight. Like the fact that the yeah. near term is easier to see than the long term. Yeah, Like, it seems like it's pretty inevitable that if you keep making things worse for certain groups of people, like, it will drive instability, and ultimately there will be a spark that causes significant unrest, right? So it's like, okay, even if you view it in the worst possible terms of, like, giving up power, like, wokeism is, like, helping power, like, helping spread out who has power or whatever, like even if you in the worst possible terms, it's either do it now, voluntarily, slowly on your own terms, or do it later in an incendiary event that is of historical significance. Like, white slave owners of the South, wouldn't you have rather? I mean, if we get rid of, if we pretend that Lincoln wasn't replaced by a fucking, like, like racist in sheep's clothing who is, like, trying to, you know, destroy Reconstruction, but, like, like wouldn't the slave owners in the south have preferred like letting their like freeing their slaves to having the south destroyed yeah right like if 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 jim crow hadn't been a thing kicked off by you know what's his name president johnson um like they would certainly have preferred to unravel that horrible institution on their own economic terms. And I'm not saying that would have, I'm not saying that that's like the the good thing or the better thing. I'm saying that's an argument for telling the people in power to loosen their grip on the reins because otherwise they'll be wrenched from you. So at the very least, like, like, but I don't think people can see that far ahead. Yeah. And this is a point that I think that
0: we've made before. Like I've made the point before that if you want to save capitalism, yeah. You have to in, you have to implement social democracy. Yeah. You have to, because people can only be pushed to a certain point.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: People will only suffer from lack of healthcare to a certain point. People will only put up with a certain level of income inequality, and eventually, it's going to go beyond the tipping point. When it was Bernie Sanders, that was us asking nicely. Yeah. All right. When we say give us Medicare for all, that's us asking nicely. When we say raise taxes on the rich. That's us asking nicely. When we say have free college tuition, that's us asking nicely. Mm-hmm. All right? That is allowing a system in which you still have capitalists and you still have rich people. Mm-hmm. And I I assume that that's the type of system in which rich people would prefer. So the question is, do you want to continue to, to rich people? Because I'm sure that a lot of billionaires are probably listening to the podcast sure, sure. right We're now. We're the
1: number one po- podcast among billionaires.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the question is...
0: Would you rather pay a little bit more in taxes, uh, only own as much wealth as you can spend in 10 lifetimes instead of 50,000 lifetimes, or would you rather continue to push people to the breaking point and lose it all? Because that is where we are heading if you continue this shit. You want stability, and you have a vested
1: interest in maintaining it. And now we will end our show as we usually do, with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that
0: it's Informed Speaking Week for my students, hmm. and I always like Informed Speaking Week. Like I've just, I've just seen a lot of really good speeches, learned a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, did you know that um, that Australia waged a war against emus? Emus. Yeah. They like, there was a whole war against them because they were like, they were an invasive species and like, they waged a war and they kind of, they kind of lost. Like, they were straight up (laughs) trying to shoot them on the battlefield, but they were running so fast that they couldn't hit any of them. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, amazing. I know. That's so cool. I love informative speeches.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. I like, I wish. I wish that I could. Uh, I had students that would just teach me stuff. That sounds really yeah. fun. yeah. What about you, Michael? What's your highlight? My highlight is prospective. Um, so this coming weekend is my my very close friends' uh, bachelor party. So we're going to be going down to Mexico to uh, to live it up bachelor style. So that's going to be really nice. Fun. I'm super excited. Nice. Um, Enjoy and, yourself, yeah. bro. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm leaving like. In like six hours <laughs> yeah so and fun now fun. we will thank the incredible people that make this show possible so first off thank you to Kayla Fanoff, our amazing editor for doing the incredible work that she does and thank you to our amazing patrons Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fadeout Scoop Taylor Bloom and Tobias Janssen um, and thank you listener for listening to the Perspectrum and you'll hear from us again next week